0: a movement from the belief they want to change into actually seeing it enacted in their life. And this is where James 2 comes into it. So James 2 at the very start, so verses 1 to 7, um, there's this idea where James gives this hypothetical story of um, a church gathering, which is quite apt, don't you think? So it picture this. Um, there are two different people that walk through the doors here at Capical Lady one Sunday morning, and um, one is dressed in their finery. They look as though they know who they are. They mean business. They're kind of important. You know, Dylan when he was the sort of counselor sort of thing. That, that, that sort of person, i So he walks in, kind of dressed in finery. And then someone else walks in behind them, dressed in rags, a little bit tatty. You're kind of like, oh, you don't have much influence. And now James says to the church, how often do these sort of two people walk in and everyone flocks to the person that has all their finery on because they're important. They say, come here, sit at the front. Would you like our finest coffee and our best brioche? I will even warm it for you. But the person in rags walks in and we would kind of say, oh, there's probably some seats at the back if you want. There's some rugs anyway. Um, you, you can have a, you can have a, a digestive biscuit. But he says that this is the complete opposite of the way the kingdom actually works. Actually, in the kingdom of heaven, the least, the last, and the lost are the first class citizens. And then he goes on in James 2, verse 8 to 11. Uh, we've got this. So this is from the message. It just phrases it really nicely. So follow it with me. It says, you do well when you compete Complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring the others. The same God who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you don't commit adultery, but go ahead and murder, do you think your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you are a murderer, period, or full stop, if you're in the UK. Because we cannot pick and choose the things that we like and that we don't like when we are living out our faith in Jesus. James gives the example of not adultering doesn't cancel out murder. Uh, This is the same for our justice system. Um, There are some things that if you do it, just to kind of stand in front of a court of law and say, but I didn't do the other thing. Um, doesn't cut it. But I would also argue for our faith that there are some things that maybe we, we just do and we don't do because maybe we just ah, we just don't like it very much. So for example, it's not okay to just love worship music because that doesn't cancel out not reading your Bible. Or maybe you think, well, I attend church every week without fail, so that kind of cancels out the fact that I don't need to actually share my faith with anyone. I would argue that that isn't the case. And now don't confuse this with gifting or preference, because yet we prefer some things more than others. So me being um, uh, being uh, fundamentally an introvert um, and a geographer, means that silence and solitude out in the wild places, for me, just really, oh, it's fantastic. Whereas Rachel, on the other hand, is an extrovert, loves being around people, likes busyness, silence for her drives her mad. And so for her, she likes to retreat to places of coffee shops and um, spending time there. Now, this isn't to say that we both can't do the other thing. Grace can't retreat into the silence and solitude. I can't go to a coffee shop and still connect with God. It's preference. But that's not what James is talking about here. In James 12, uh, 2, 12 and 13, he kind of summarizes it a little bit more. He says, talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets you free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Or a more famous way of saying this, um, in the NIV translation, it says, mercy triumphs over justice. Judgment. Thanks. James here is setting the platform for his big speech that is about to come, his big message of James 2. And it is one that has caused a great deal of debate over um, the history of the church. So James 2, 14 to 20, again, the message just phrases it really nicely. It says, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? For merely talking about faith, does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing as much of a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? You'll catch up with me now. or in a minute. I can already hear one of you say agreeing by saying sounds good. You take care of the faith department, and I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? So in this famous section of scripture, James is saying, if you have a true faith, it will change you. If you say you have faith, but it does not change the very essence of who you are and how you act, then the bad news is you haven't got faith. All you have is mere words. James here is talking about the fact If we profess faith in Jesus, it calls for a response that cascades through every fibre of our being for our whole life. Or as you've probably heard us say from the front before, this idea of whole life discipleship. This involves the way that we spend our time, the things we do, how we speak to people, how we engage in issues of social justice, how we spend our money, how we treat our body, who we sleep with, the list goes on and on. The key is that we must always be learning, always changing for the better, to be more like Christ each day, more than the last. James 2, verse 17 in the NIV translation, uh, words it like this, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So um, some of you might have heard about this uh, passage in the Bible before because it's quite famous for uh, a guy called Martin Luther. So not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, who was the catalyst of the Protestant reform in Britain. So he's one of the main reasons why we sit here today um, with this form of church gathering as compared to a Catholic church. And he famously took issue with the book of James. He felt that it contradicted um, what Paul's statements about justification by faith were. And this revolves around uh, Romans 5, verse 1 to 2, which incidentally was um, one of my uh, memory verses as a teenager from Spring Harvest circa 2004. It was excellent. Um, But it says, uh, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Which is a slightly wordy way of saying, if you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you, you have access to the kingdom of heaven. So Martin Luther's question was, how are we justified by faith, as Paul writes, but also need works, as James is suggesting here? Yet James actually answers this question, if you read a little bit further on. So James 2, 21-26, I'll just read it. He gives two stories of two examples of um, how this is outplayed. Again, in the message translation, because it just frames it lovely. So wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right by God with God by works? When he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar, isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself in works, that the works are works of faith. The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. It is not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by fruitful works. The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot, wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape the seamless unity of believing and doing what counted with God. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, you get the same thing, a corpse. So here James is speaking directly into this, giving two examples of where if we have a faith, it naturally, automatically comes through in the way that we live our lives. What we do, Abraham's action to take Isaac to sacrifice was his response to his belief and his faith. So like your New Year's resolutions, making a change that sticks must have a conscious decision at the start. So, a faith. It then settles in you, which I would term as your identity. So, when your faith really settles deep inside of you and it changes your identity to be more like Christ. And then from that moment, it becomes more than just the passing fad of getting your running shoes on. And begins to flow out of you more as an action That there is this overflow of because your identity is so deeply changed in your faith, there is this overflow that means that you can't help but have the works like Christ. And it's important to recognize at this point the tension between faith and works. Some will find the idea of the action, the easy part, the doing for God, the being busy, the being out there. Whereas, and they probably need to just chill out a little bit, and they actually just need to go spend some time with God and stop doing for God all the time. Whereas others might end up um, on the other end where they actually don't practice what they preach. They sit in their own little faith bubble thinking, as long as I just read and read and read and become more, like know more and more and more, have more and more faith, but they don't actually ever see it outworked in their lives. It's merely just words. See, Jesus uses a similar metaphor of a tree and fruit to capture the faith-leading-to-works idea. So Matthew 1, 16 to 23 says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, faith is the tree and the branches. But if a tree does not bear good fruit, as in the works, the actions, the behaviors that come from us, it is classed as rotten and will be cut down. Our actions and behaviours are the fruit that show our faith is alive and kicking. Which means we should never stay the same. If we think that we do not need to continuously seek change, to seek humility and growth, we are very, very badly mistaken. If our tree stops producing fruit, even if once upon a time it did produce good fruit, it will be cut down. Now I have a real bugbear with the phrase... Oh, it's just the way I am. You can't change me. Okay, so I am a big fan of personality tests. Being part of the Sadler family, marrying into it, to survive long car journeys and Christmas holidays, you have to accept that you are going to be classified as a fruit or an animal or as whatever else on the personality test. That is part of Christmas. You will be judged for your actions, but in a good way. Sorry. Um, So there is this idea of personality, but that is kind of the way that we automatically respond to stuff. That is the thing that drives us, um, how we do, like I've already mentioned, introvert, extrovert, all those things. They're great. However, that is just people's primary mechanism of communication and action. They are not, I repeat, not an excuse for bad or hurtful behaviours. If people reply with, oh, it's just the way I am, you can't change me, that is not okay. And in this community, we want to have a culture of honor. One of our cultural values, so we hold the uh, values of PhD, um, which is quite nice, pioneering, honoring, and discipleship. And to have an honoring culture means that we cannot hide behind the excuse of, it's just the way I am. But actually, we must continuously seek change to become more Christ-like. Our actions and behaviors should continuously be reviewed to ensure we are producing fruit that matches the faith that we profess. As the message puts it in James 2.18, you can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. And if the glove doesn't fit the hand, then you've got to review it. Now, the key here is James is in no way suggesting that works lead to our salvation. But it is our works that are a result of our salvation. We cannot just enter the kingdom of heaven by just being really, really nice. It requires faith. But faith without movement into action and growth is not faith at all. It is just merely words. For example, who's watched The Apprentice TV show before? Yeah, The Apprentice. Yeah, I actually applied to go on The Apprentice once. Can you imagine? Anyway. So the principle of the show is to get some interesting characters into a competitive situation. So they say some outrageous stuff. And then with a little bit of cool editing, they make that person look completely the opposite of what they said they are. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's why we all watch it, isn't it? We want someone to say that I am a field of ponies, and so on. That's for you apprentice fans out there. So how are we to become known by others? Because there is a lesson in the apprentice for this. Just saying you are something doesn't make you that thing. When writing a tagline for a mission statement uh, for a business or church, one thing that they always say to remember is, it doesn't matter who you say you are, but it's how people perceive you. It's what actually you do that people make sense. For example, leading up into the general election, um, the leader of the Lib Dems at the time, Jo Swinson, began her campaign with the slogan, Jo Swinson, the next prime minister. Now, as a lot of you have just done there, it was laughed out. Because that would have been the biggest upset in the history of politics. And for the Lib Dems to gain a working majority, it, w- it would have just been mad. But she started with this bold claim by basically trying to call out, well, if I say I am the next prime minister, then people will believe it. But her words were not backed up by, her act- by the numbers, a.k.a. the action, of people voting for her. And thus it was left out of the running, and very quickly, within a week or two, the Lib Dems changed their tact a little bit and started to say, ooh, coalition maybe is actually what we're aiming for here. So my question to you is, what do you think people would say about you? How would people describe you Think about how this might differ between different people in our church community, our family, friends, work colleagues, or classmates. Now, I'm not saying that it's they have to all be exactly the same or would say the exact same things. But some of the fundamentals of who you are, what they see you doing, have to stand. And what are we as a community going to be known for? How would people describe Lighthouse Church? A welcoming community or a holy huddle? An active people or a passive one? Are we known in the community or are we distant from them? How would people talk about our church to others? What would they say? What would you like people to say about you or about our church? And importantly, what could your role be in making this a reality? How do your actions, how do your outworking of your faith back up what you want it to be? So the old song by Tim Hughes, God of Justice, um, I think must have been written following the inspiration of James. The chorus says, we must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken, we must go. Stepping forward, keep us from just singing, move us into action. And reflecting on James 2 should draw us to a place where we consider what aspects of following Jesus do we engage with and what areas do we conveniently forget about. Remember, we cannot pick and choose what we like and don't like. One thing does not cancel out another. Having faith will change us through whole life discipleship, continuously growing and becoming more Christ-like. And faith and works fit together like a hand and glove. We should be trees that produce good fruit. Otherwise, we are as good as dead. So to close, I'm going to play the the song, God of Justice, in the background. And I wanted to encourage you to spend some time reflecting and answering the questions, helpfully provided, on this sheet. Um, So if... So if you can kind of, i printed out about 40 copies, and there's probably about 50 people here. So kind of try and take one each. or pass them around. If you can share, that probably would be helpful. So these are the questions that I um, are up on the screen here. Um, now, so I want to just spend some time as we uh, listen to the song in the background um, just to reflect on these questions about what, um, what do you think people would say about you? What would we as a community be known for? What would you like people to say about you or about this church? And how actually can we see that happen? What can we do? Now, this isn't an easy task, and it is not something you will be able to do in the next five minutes, and then leave and never think about it ever again. It will take some thought over the coming days and weeks as you respond to things during good and bad moments. So maybe you respond differently when you're under pressure or when you're tired. I know I definitely do with Caleb. You can always tell how much grace I have with him of how tired I am. So think about how you might come across to different people and in different situations. And maybe if you're brave enough, ask people you trust to honestly answer these questions for you about you. So I did this last year with a couple of friends, uh, close friends of mine, um, and it was really interesting to see how, their, uh, how I came across to them and how it differed between them uh, due to the relationship and the context that we shared. And it made me aware of some of the behaviours and some of the things that I, have, uh, I maybe do that um, make them uneasy. But also that make them feel really loved by me that I was completely unaware of. So we're going to do this now. um, So we'll play the song and then I'll ask the band to come up and lead us um, in a final uh, song or two. But first of all, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit in just to speak to our hearts so that we can honestly reflect on, you know, what do I profess in my faith? And what actually do I do? That backs that up. So, Lord Jesus, um, I come before you and we come before you this morning and just invite you into our hearts now, God. Allow us to hear that still small whisper that moves us into action. God, we pray that we must go, we must live to feed the hungry and stand beside the broken, that we must step forward. Not just singing, but that we are moved into action. That through our faith in you, it is backed up by what we do. Like Ron Seal, we do exactly what it says on the tin. And so, God, I pray that now as we reflect on this, don't let this be a time of judgment or a negative self-reflection, but a moment where we can positively decide to make that change. To let these things settle in our hearts so it changes our identity. That means that just purely through the natural overflow of faith in you, our works, our actions, our behaviors, honor you and your kingdom, God. God, you are welcome here. Amen. Karen um, has just come and said that actually as part of this from what Amy shared earlier with the higher talk coming to North Wales um, like that is action and faith in action happening right there and that this is an amazing thing that's happening so um, as we transition now if the worship guys can, can be, uh, get ready to lead us we're going to go into time of worship but also Amy if it's alright sorry I've not checked with you but can we get round you um, and can we um, just pray into that Um, yeah, so if you're, if you were kind of stirred by the higher tour and youth and that what's happening there, then let's gather around Amy and let's just pray for, um, for all that's happening, pray for her meeting tomorrow, pray for the higher tour when that happens, that there, um, yeah, that this action of we must go, um, is, is happening right there. So, uh, so yeah, let's pray for that. And then also let's, um. Let's engage with this. I want to just encourage you to take these pieces of paper with you, reflect on this over the coming weeks and months, uh, just as you kind of think okay, what actually is happening, especially this last sort of question of what actually is my role in this? How am I being perceived in this? What can I do or be part of, or just who am I that is reflecting this? Cool.